pal when we're recording. The first, uh, this is not a podcast with your boy. And thing uh, one and thing two. Thing one and thing two. Yeah, I guess a good place to start is what you were saying about you can't. We what we were talking about as far as you can't help but notice the way things look. You can ignore the way things look, and they will still affect you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why don't I just read this? Because uh, it starts just like that. It's uh, it's let's say two things. One, your world is not as it, as it appears to be. And two, whatever you're doing, unconsciously, is satisfying, right? You're trying to sort of mediate your experience with your feeling, right? Uh, you're, you're trying to make order out of chaos. And we should also say that nothing is not something. Right. And nothing is not something. Right. Because we only we only get to the idea of nothing through the idea of generalizing things into something. And through that we can say that maybe there are things that don't exist or we don't know exist. Uh, which we have no evidence for, right? Uh, there's no way of, of obtaining that except at a, or except through language, right? And uh, and we, but we still we still can use it, right? We can still use the word nothing, and we can apply it to to things. And we most often do it in when we we try to describe how we forget things, right? Uh, that's where it, where it, quote nothing quote goes. All the things that we would like to forget go to the world of nothing. And. But it's it's not as though these things are, are forever lost, right? Because there are many times in your you know throughout your childhood you have all these feelings, or you know in your everyday experience, you know there's there's probably one thing that you take for granted at least, right? Uh, it's pr- probably a lot more than that. Probably a lot more than that. <laughs> uh, but let's say it's one thing, uh, and one day you you notice it again, right? It's like it's some tree. And it really sticks out to you this day, and you spend the your day looking at a carving on the tree, and it says, you know, you know, Rosie and and Michael, loving forever, right? And suddenly, your whole experience of that environment has changed. The tree that you walk by every day has this symbol written on it that suggests who knows how long, you know, some history between two people. And maybe the next day you pass by, you think about it again, and you start creating a story, right? Mm. And then that story becomes either, you know, some work of fiction or some, you know, relationship you, you really want to understand business. And without that little something, without that little bit of attention towards, quote, nothing, quote, you, you're kind of lost, right? You, you need to pick up on new things, as mundane as they might appear to be, and figure out... You know why? Why are they there for me, right? What is it that, in in knowing them or experiencing them, would then discover and feel? And 
and to not let it like just sort of slip past you is, is sort of the beginning of like uh, awareness you know and uh, a sense of presence and to, to sort of bring more body to your memory uh, so like imagine imagine somewhere that you don't really remember right uh, or somewhere that you would call forgetful you know like uh, you know Starbucks you know <laughs> or uh, you know places that you go to so frequently that they've numbed you to the experience like a you know right. a, a like office, the workplace the workplace <laughs> the uh, the office you know with the with whitewashed walls and the you know the, the tack wall whatever that is and uh, yeah, you don't you don't have a lot to really bounce off of or interact with yeah, I mean, it's like everybody uh, could probably uh, drive home or to work, you know, whatever their daily commute is, and totally zone out the whole time and, like, yeah. get home and not even remember the drive home because they're just so used to that exact same sequence of like, that, that exact same environment. It's functional, you know? Like, if we didn't do that, we we would be autistic. We would be... There would be something we wouldn't be able to deal with because there's so much of it. Yeah. We would have a whole different set of perceptions. And by reducing them, suddenly we're functional, right? Yeah. I guess it's like finding that happy medium of... Yeah, where is that? You don't want an environment that's like overwhelmingly vibrant to the point where you can't Once you do, even... you, know, you go to a club or a party, yeah. but... Not but, when you're working. Yeah, it's like, but I guess they have their own functions, because like the same way that the the overwhelmingly vibrant on one side of the spectrum, and then you get like the dead and dull as like a prison cell. Yeah, that's that's like what I've been wondering. It's like, you know, how much of that boredom, you know, feeds into the work, right? Because is, is it better to be in an environment that is potentially distracting, or one that is so boring that you have nothing better to do than to focus back in? Yeah. Right? But, I don't know, I think it's easy to miscategorize or to assume that art in the workplace would be distracting, but, like, I don't know, I feel like if, if you didn't... normalize anyway, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I mean. If you went into the same art museum every day, or even if you went into an art museum that wasn't uh, characterized as an art museum, say you just go to your friend's house and they just happen to have a lot of art in the house and you go to their house all the time, let's see, that's just a homie, like... You would probably be able to do everything that you would normally do without being distracted by the art. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it would obviously that first day, though, right? Yeah. And now, now you have this great story about a friend mm -hmm. who has this wonderful art, and oh, you should see it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, let alone all the long conversations you have with that friend. It's, yeah, it's just amplified. What's like, the better story? You know? Yeah, like I when I first started eating better food and not just like just straight sustenance, like going to like nicer restaurants and stuff like you start to uh, get the experience that it's not just about the food like the food has to taste good but it's like what are the different scents what is the ambiance like it's in a, it's a full experience with like the taste as like the main reason you're there or like the food the main reason you're there just as like the work is the main reason you're there but right. it's a whole experience really that you're building around for me at a certain point a lot of food just sort of tastes the same but what, what makes it special is, like, how it was prepared mm. and what it looks like. Mm. And 
that like doubles, quadruples when and who you're there with. Yeah, that's that's the doubling, and let's say the quadrupling is when you there's a story behind it. Like this is the best chef and so and so. You pay, you know, top yeah. dollar for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and it's all it's just a story, right? It's it's the amount of effort somebody had gone through to tell you a story about this food and you know, the life that they lived. Yeah, there was there was a point here that uh, that is kind of behind that. If you're the restaurant and not the eater, and is that like, or if you're the work of you the uh you know the employer and not the employee like to have an artful work environment it communicates that you care about creativity that you and that you think creativity has a place in the workspace right yeah in in a way that you don't have to articulate you don't have to come out and say we value creativity right. here at yeah. X company. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have art all over the walls that right. says so. Yeah. Like you don't have to put it in your slogan. Exactly. You embody it. It's a way of communicating your values without having to put it in your onboarding. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to explain yourself. You could just be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's probably close to the truth of how company culture works anyway. Is that you have to be yourself rather than explain yourself, and you can spend a lot of time developing. These are our core values, and right. this is what we believe I in. But if you don't act it, a lot of that too is is very similar to our relationship with the stars. Is you know we're kind of doing we're kind of whitewashing all in the sky at night. Yeah, with, yeah. with our light pollution. Hmm. Uh, That's interesting. For better or for worse, right? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Yeah, for better and for worse. And for worse, yeah. The, the, but there's a lot so, of foreigners talk about that. Oh yeah, I believe that because they're coming from places with mm-hmm. like. Well, if you're coming from like one of these poorer countries, it's like light no pollution. light pollution. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Uh, going back to what you were saying about like, could it be distractions? I think there's something else here is that there's a difference between a positive distraction and a negative distraction. Mm. Like, maybe a negative distraction is, like, I don't know, mindlessly scrolling your Facebook page. Whereas, like, a positive distraction is, like, when you look up from your work to, like, figure something out. And you have, like, all of this, like, art around you Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. to kind of ponder it on or, you know. Well, the the Facebook page wasn't always that way, right? Like, the first time you created and scrolled through it, it was amazing. But because you did it so often... Right. It was something that became less productive. Should we pause? I don't know. We're we back. Yeah, we're back now. Should I just finish what I was thinking about stars? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, we've lost our relationship to the stars, right? Mm-hmm. And those are one of the things that human beings used to see every day, every night, for, you know, <laughs> millions and millions of years, right? And suddenly we're in environments where they don't exist, right? It's like our sense of simulation has become very acute. And, uh, uh, there's, yeah, there's something uh, that tied back in that I was reminded of, but it's eluding me now. But you're basically trying to create environments that are more natural to your, just your human experience because without right. it you're you're kind of lost right this you're you're going to be adapting to something so artificial that that 
that is unnecessarily artificial. Right. And it's not even human. Yeah. Uh, or it's, it's, or let's say it's, it's entirely util- utilitarian. Right. Not that it's not human, but that it's not geared toward the more natural sensibilities that we've developed just in the wild, say. Exactly. That, yeah, it's easier to have the feeling of simulation in, like, these hyper-industrial environments. Right. It's, um, but on, on some level, it's like, that's how you, you create a lot of security. Uh, but you, I mean, what, what you're creating in a company, especially in the new age, is is to is to break that a little bit. It's, you don't want to be too safe. That's that's the definition of, of a liberal, is that you take risks, right? Right. You create environments that you don't know how people are going to really react to it, right? It might be wrong, right? But because you're willing to, to pay money and understand why art is important, you're suddenly able to uh, get back get back to, to a space that actually means something and motivates people. Right. And when you really look at it, it sounds like it would be axiomatic for this to to be realized. Like, obviously people enjoy art. Yeah. Why wouldn't you <laughs> want people to enjoy... Why wouldn't there be more of it? Well, yeah. right now the answer is because they don't want to pay for it. But that's... There's no reason why you shouldn't. It's it's so good for people to see things. Yeah, and I guess that's what I mean by like axiomatic. Like you would think that it would be obvious that you should invest in the well-being of your people. No. Because without the well-being of your people, without your people operating at their best, your product won't be as good as it could be. Your marketing won't be as good as it could be. Your salespeople won't be as good as they could be. They might be great, but we're just talking about right, right. the potential and, well, I mean, and the even, sustainability. Even if they're if they're great, why are they great? It's probably because they're having wonderful experiences outside of their life there, right? It's a it's a whole picture of a thing, you know. People yeah. are complex. Yeah. And this, I mean, some people aren't like that at all. Uh, you know, they're really cornered and functional. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And that's that's like sometimes you really you really want those type of people. Yeah. They do a lot of great work. Uh, but I think enough people kind of have this, you know, this muddy space where you just don't, you know, you know, why am I here, right? Yeah. And you need a good reason to convince somebody to be there, other than you know the work is that interesting. They pay, that it pays their bills. And it pays their bills, or you know, this like that the task is fascinating. Right. I mean, why am I you know why am I going to do this? Why am I willing to take the risk that I will be bored doing it over and over, right? Yeah, because at the end of the day, there is an understanding amongst all workers that you are there to work, that you're not going to love all of the things required out of your job, but the the environment should be, ideally would be centered around the well-being of your employees. And we talked about this concept of the office renaissance. And mm-hmm. I think even expanding that will, will, what will probably lead into is like a renaissance in living environments. Mm-hmm. In the home, in the urban environments, in the workplace. I think these sentiments will spill over even outside of the office. 
I think there's a lot of things that could be better that we're not we're just not really feeling as a people anymore like we really over industrialized a lot of our living space and I think now we're probably in a time where it'll start to backtrack or we'll start to adapt it to these new ideas around well-being I would that's the hope anyway I guess yeah, we've kind of lifted off the ground in, in a certain sense like we're a little bit removed from uh, just you know the world which which is hard and difficult but you know in these environments uh, you're able to figure out you know what what is worth doing and it's important that that you remember them you know whatever whatever form they take yeah and it's I think the way we were talking about restaurants too is that these things will be a whole experience it won't just be because the room has a lot of art in it like um, it makes me think about the casinos in Vegas that pump oxygen through their vents oh wow to make sure that people stay up later it keeps them more awake <laughs> so they'll stay longer and gamble right i'm not saying workplaces should do this <laughs> no, i'm just no. saying casinos obviously understand that it's a full experience and that it's not just the flashing lights it's not just the the uh women know, it's, waitresses it's more or less, or whatever. more oxygen make you more or less human <laughs> well it's not I, I understand yeah i just mean to say it's about the full experience and you know Humans are probably, without competition, the most adaptive animal on the planet. Maybe roaches, but like let's <laughs> let's leave it. You know, the humans are among the most adaptable animals sure. on the planet, and things have become so complex at this point in society. And taking a holistic view, essentially, of what goes into making right. a workspace enjoyable. You know, what what layer can we can we fuck with? Right. Yeah, what needs tinkering that yeah. could uh, that could make this more ideal? What is useful? Cause I do think that by and large people aren't enjoying their workspaces. That would be my guess. That's the. Yeah, and some of them are are like overly eccentric and a little wasteful, because they don't really have. They have diverse plans, but not specific ones. Interesting ideas, but this, I don't know, a mixed bag of craftsmanship and stuff. That's that's easy to fix. There's a ton of people out there. Just need to get them in one place. What else could you pump through the vents? Is it un is it unethical to pump, like? I don't know, lavender or lemongrass or something. Well, they're, they're doing that. Are they? Yeah. It's At like, workplaces? Well, Tide Refreshener or something, I'm sure, yeah. Like some sanitary no. agent. Maybe it's scentless. they got to use a sanitizer. Yeah. Maybe a sanitizer, but I'm talking yeah. about some kind of smell activating the... the. Uh, and it's, prob it's probably something. That would be... Is that unethical? No. I don't so. think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends on what level it has an effect. Yeah. If it smells good, that's fine. 
Well, I mean, if you wouldn't want it to smell bad, but I'm I'm saying there's got there's obviously a limit, right? Like right, yeah. There's a limit to what you could pump through the vents before well, it becomes. A I mean, it's also a good reason to use something that is relatively benign because the inverse is also true, in which people are like have sensitive sensitive allergies and right. Like that, right. Oh, check this out. Still gotta clean the vents. There was a there was a study where architects contrasted two sensory-based environments, one called a neutral room and the other a sensorial room. The neutral room was a basic meeting room, white conference table, homogeneous lighting. The sensorial room had a wooden table, bookcases made of a fragrant cedar wood that were rough in texture, three wooden chairs, <laughs> each wood of a different... <laughs> three wooden chairs, each of a different design, a curtain made of leaves, a blue light behind a bookcase, and food on the shelves. And then, beyond that, the the subjects of the experiment were split into two groups, one for each room, and asked to perform a problem-solving test. Hmm. What do you think uh, the results were? I mean, obviously, who had the, the rich cedar wood inhaled something and gave them better abilities to complete the test. I think that's what we would all hope. Apparently it wasn't the best for all types of work. It depends on the type of work being done. Oh. So, this is, this I think goes back to what we were saying is it depends on what you're optimizing for. Mm -hmm. Does it say what type of work? So, they were trying to do a, a problem solving it says group problem solving uh, test uh, memorizing studying basically the people in the sensorial room were better at the listening task they were able to remember more words rep- reproduce more words and their concentration levels were heightened compared to those in the neutral room I mean, it says that the colors and the sense promoted calm and relaxed brain states, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you're... Yeah, this is interesting. That's a that's a more interesting question to ask, is what kind of space is best for what kind of work? Can you make a literal panic room? Right? <laughs> Come to this room to panic. Yeah. I wonder if people's... You know, pulse would go up if you had like a a vault door you had to walk through. I'm sure that's true. I do a hundred percent believe there's an architecture of fear and intimidation. Oh, I think that's mostly yeah. what prisons are based off of. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Most of what prisons uh, yeah. are based off of is how can we construct a building yeah. that makes you afraid, mm-hmm. that makes that like dampens the spirit. Yeah, it's good to know the spectrum. That's the no. Here it lists out states of mind for what a room can be optimized for. Attention, uh, which is receptive, being receptive to incoming external stimulation. Hmm. Focus, the ability to concentrate on the details of what you're interacting with or on the activity at hand. Learning. The ability to recall memories to help classify the information acquired. 
this also assumes that you don't already know this information, that you're perceiving it as something new. Evocative, the ability to link and compare the stimuli with your previous experiences. It sounds too like these aren't uh, mutually exclusive states, right? Um, simplicity, the ability to easily comprehend what the stimulus communicates. Um, and calm, the state of relaxation. You're willing to interact effectively with the environment. Hampering this. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of runes come out of this renaissance because I think there is going to be a whole wave of companies on the design side and on the receiving end, I guess, on the redesign end. Companies are going to be redefining their space and companies are going to be helping them redefine their space. I think there's so much room for experimentation right now. A lot of different tiers, too. Like, you know, architecture is, is probably the highest one. Right. But we could also suspend things. There's a lot of, um, you know, up space in these warehouses. I think about that, too, because there's so much architecture now that has this industrial ceiling where you could see all the pipes and stuff like that. You can't get too close to it. A lot of liability with the art, too. Uh, which is why, like, putting it directly on the wall is the best thing. Because then you just coat it, waterproof it. Can't do that on the ceiling? Well, not if you hang it. It's a lot, it's a lot more expensive. I mean a mural on the wall. I mean on the ceiling. Oh. That would be kind of perfect. And you get, like, 16-inch chapel kind of deal. It's actually a great idea, yeah. You literally never thought of that? Oh, I thought about painting churches, but... I mean, like, painting ceilings. You never thought about painting the ceiling? Of suspending... Well, see, in this situation, it's it's a it's a hanger, right? So I was imagining you'd have to suspend panels over everything, right? And I, no, I had not thought of that. <laughs> I always think about painting the ceiling. I thought about painting the ceiling before, but not in Facebook, yeah. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, because then you can do the hallways, you can do bathrooms, like you could have one cohesive you theme. You have to be able to hang from the ceiling. Not really, I mean you just have ladders. That's a tall fucking thing. Depends on how high your ceilings are. I think that, you know, where I work, you could easily put a ladder up and reach the top of the ceiling. Oh, okay. The best thing to do would be to lay on your back somehow. Yeah. Well, you could use the thing that they use for regular murals, that machine that you can move oh, yeah. up or down. Kind of. Just take the walls off of it and lay on uh -huh. your back. Uh -huh. Yeah, you use like, uh, I don't know, you just need like some one plane so you can kind of lean back. Right. Yeah, I think that would be super cool. Yeah, I hope we get more of that too. I would love to uh, even just see a place with a really coherent theme on the ceiling of all their buildings. We should we should do like uh I think it'd be possible to have studies of people working in caves and different environments that are just earthly and soothing or diverse, right? 
Yeah. Because, I mean, at a certain point, you can't really you can't really travel people to location and test them. I think it just ruins the experiment. But I'm sure there's places in, like, Switzerland where they have fucking houses and caves and shit. Yeah, there is no perfect experiment because as soon as they know they're a part of an experiment, the experiment is kind of changed. I mean, I guess you just have to start a company in one of these Icelandic caves. Start a company in a cave. Just do the study, and then a year later you actually make something. <laughs> the cave startup. You should start the company just so you can write the study. Exactly. Yeah. Raise money. <laughs> if the company works, awesome. If not, I mean, at least you have a really cool study. That's the future of science, man. <laughs> just... The future of science is just starting companies <laughs> with weird weird orgs and uh-huh. weird workspaces. Right. Do it in the name of science. <laughs> Who cares if you lose money? It needs, needs to be somewhere. You might as well be trying something new. Let's do an underwater, underwater, yeah. an aquarium. Did it with Jaws, man. Yeah, the reverse aquarium workplace. Yeah. One in the sky, maybe have a. Dude, you just like, I mean, I guess then you could be an aquarium employee, but to have an office there, I mean, isn't that every villain's dream? Is to have a fucking shark aquarium next to his plan of action and what is the not the super friends but the legion of doom in the swamp <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah it's like the worst headquarters in a swamp that sounds awful it's can terrible. you imagine that commute oh <laughs> you're coming from the big you city like driving into a swamp aircrafts and tubes through the swamps don't you it's the worst <laughs> yeah i would never make that commute if you live in a swamp, you are destined to have a hard time attracting talent. But this is uh, about the half hour mark, so we'll wrap up here. All right. Peace. Life on the bayou. <laughs>